You're listening to the IMT Show with Mike Sims. Now here is your host. One of the interesting things in this in my journey in writing is um, is you meet a lot of people that they always say, I, I've always wanted to write a book. And it always surprises me that you know, people I consider extremely successful in every regard and are just terrified about writing books. And I tell them that it's... Um, it's like, you know, hiking, you know, to, uh, to a mountain and you just start walking. You don't worry about the distance because that's what you're looking at is that distance. You know, how do I get from there to there, here to there? Just start walking. Just start writing. Don't worry about it being perfect. Don't worry about it, uh, the grammar, spelling, any of that stuff because that's, that's all going to be edited later. It's all going to be worked on. And then it's, you can't, you, you can't worry about it. You just gotta, you just gotta do it. I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm not formally educated in writing. I'm sure my editors have uh, dreamed about taking me behind the shed at times. <laughs> so it's uh you, you can't worry about that stuff. You just write, be creative. For me, it's um, short stories pop in my head and I jot them down in about 10 or 15 minutes. And then I might make them into a, into a novel later, maybe, maybe not, depending on if I think it's worthy or one or not. And when I do, I, I let it brew in my head, the characters and the scenes and the general plot and everything. And when I actually get into the mode and time to, to write down, I... I put my headset on and listen to music and it plays like a movie for me and I'm just dictating. I really don't even know exactly what the characters are going to say every time. Uh, it, it sometimes goes a little differently than you expect. It's uh, because it, it's playing out naturally and with continuity. And that's how I write. It's, um, I just let the imagination run it. Her journey takes her places few live through, but her character is powerful and persevering. To herself, she is only Vicky, but to many others, a powerful force, Vicky. I put my headset on and listen to music, and it plays like a movie for me, and I'm just dictating. I really don't even know exactly what the characters are going to say every time. Uh, it, it sometimes goes a little differently than you expect. It's uh, because it, it's playing out naturally and with continuity. And that's how I write. It's, um, I just let the imagination run it. And eventually it, it, it pulls into a book and then I have to go in and clean it up and, and make it, have it make more sense. Uh, because you're you're having to you can't give you can't make it like a uh, a history book where it's explaining every little thing in detail. You have to leave certain things for the reader's imagination, so that um, 
each reader has their own perception and and uh, sees it the way they want to see it. But uh, it's it, to me, it, it flows pretty well. It flows pretty easily. It's just uh, you just got to get into that that bubbling point where everything is is ready to go. It's ready to to be told. But um, uh, for some people, it's very very hard, especially uh, if they're in a, a very uh, technical like mindset it's very hard for them to sit down and be imaginative and and convey that into a story but uh, uh, I've been fortunate in in that uh, I've I've written short stories a lot of them uh, for a long time and that's when I got into um, I brought one of my short stories out uh, because it's it's one of my favorites and it's one of my favorites with friends uh, it was called uh, southern cross and it's kind of the the name is is you know it's not just the constellation southern cross which is the pinnacle kind of character in the book but it's a it's a um it it's gonna it's a double entendre on what's happening the story is about a uh, a boy in a in a poor mexican village uh, his name is Miguel, and he's uh, he has a, a single dad raising him. He loves astronomy. His uncle works in the city and keeps bringing him uh, astronomy books and even a telescope and and so forth and uh, encouraging him to be what he wants to be. His dad wants him to, you know, be uh, you know, normal rancher. Uh, just like him. But Miguel keeps spending his night staring at the stars. And one night, he realizes they're all wrong. The, the stars are not where they should be. And so he's having to convince his village that they're not in Mexico anymore. They're somewhere else. So, of course, they don't believe him because they look at the sky, night sky, and it, it just all they see is stars. They don't see patterns. Everything looks and appears the same to them. So, how can Miguel be right? Well, Miguel, this takes Miguel on a big adventure because he's got to convince the his people the truth of it, and then figure out how they got there, why, and that's that's the the basis of the story. And like I say, I um, cross-pollinated Vicky a little bit in it at the uh, at the very end. But uh, it's it's a all-age appropriate story and book, kind of Disney-like in a way. It's uh, it would make a good. I I've been told it'd be make a good movie. It uh, it's it's definitely one of my favorite stories that uh, of, of all my short stories. But um, it, we'll, we'll see what happens with it, and it's been translated in uh, in Spanish and in other languages. And I was uh, I've been very um, fortunate that I had people uh, that have came to me and told me that they they grew up uh, in Mexico and in a in a small village, and it took them back. And even the food that they ate was what they were eating. Uh, was what 
Miguel was eating in the book and what it was like for him. So you're, you're kind of as a writer, like, you know, <laughs> not having that experience, you know, and just analyzing and studying what you can, getting it right. And even, even though it's a purely science fictional book, uh, there's a fair amount of calculation and science to it as well. Because I'm, you know, of course, you're going to get people that are going to say, well, you know, how can that, you know, be and how can this, that, you know, they, they punch holes in it, even though it's just a fictional story. So I had to make it, you know, somewhat believable and uh, plausible in, in that respect. But uh, I, I hope that uh, those that read it really enjoy it as, as much as I enjoyed writing it. It is a sermon lived by few and known by many. Yet for the villagers, it is hard but rewarding. The rhythm of a good life plays music that grows the soul in ways not understood. Only those that are lucky enough to afford such a life can reap the benefits of the quiet song. A song that sings out enough that everyone knows it is there. This is their life and their story. One of the things that um, that always uh, that uh, one of the issues in publishing is that you is there's a lot to it. There's a especially when you're you're having to do everything yourself. Uh, as before, when I was with Tate, I, there were teams of people doing everything, and so you're. You're not just writing the story, taking the time to write the story, and then having taking the the critical criticisms from beta readers and incorporating their suggestions, re-editing it, rewriting it, and then taking the editor's suggestions and, and doing that, polishing the book down to where it's uh, palatable for, for even the most critical readers without um, knowing that you're, you're always going to have mistakes and you're always going to have issues uh, with your books, whether it's narrative continuity or otherwise, uh, all books do, even, even all classic books have issues. Um, even uh, there was even an article of, um, about Robin Crusoe that, you know, how could he had swam out there to uh, put things in his pockets when, you know, in, in previously said before he jumped in the water, he took all his clothes off. So, uh, so yeah, writers make mistakes and they, you know, and, and a lot of books do have mistakes and you you hope that, um, your story is compelling enough that, that people will forgive you of it and, and overlook it when that, when it happens and it will. So it's, uh, but you try to do the best you can with your editing and, and going through the processes of other people reading and looking at it and, and telling you, you, know, you what you need to improve on or change and so forth. So it's it's quite a process, but you also know that that you you never like the old saying is that you never finish a book. You you only abandon it. <laughs> you just you get to a point where it's good enough. It's it's ready to go, and then you have to go into the 
laying it out, the layout the pages to where it looks right, the margins are right, the fonts right. It looks good for print, and then you have to do it for ebook, which is a whole other ball game. And then uh, then you have to then you have to take in consideration: is it going to translate well into other languages? If you're going to do it in other languages, uh, this is uh, why I've I've had international editors uh, oftentimes will work on my books because they kind of take out the Americanisms that I don't think about when I put in, when I write, uh, that they definitely pick up on and, and say, you know, and ask me, what, what does this mean? And why did you say it this way? Uh, I've even had some of my books, when they were translated in different languages, they would, uh, the translators would actually put footnote markers and explain what I'm talking about because of the, the Americanisms in it. So it's uh, there's a lot of things to consider and a lot of work that has to be done in, in putting a book together. And then you get then you have to get to the graphic art and whether you pay for a cover or you design a cover. Uh, with Southern Cross, I, I actually hired a, uh, a service to do it for me and I couldn't quite get the concept of what I wanted. I wanted a little boy sitting on a rock, staring at the Southern Cross. And, um, and this is, uh, you know, with the, this, his village below in the valley. And I just, they, they couldn't quite get it right. And I finally, I, I you know, I, I gave up on them, went and bought the, uh, the, the artwork, the rights to the artwork I needed. And, um, Actually, the village was a picture of uh, of a uh, port with docking lights. <laughs> so, but it was so small in the picture that it looks like a little village in the desert. And uh, I put it all together and and came up with a, a cover that that fit the feeling that I was trying to convey in, about the book. So. It's a it's a lot of work to put them together. It's a it's a tremendous amount of work and effort, and to get it right. So, it's um, if you're uh, it's a lot of learning if you're going to do it on your own. Unfortunately, uh, with like Amazon and in some of these places now, they have wizards that can step you through a lot of it and help you do basic uh, stuff to put it out there quickly and efficiently. Uh, of course, editing is something you'll have to do. You have to hire somebody to do, or, or use, uh, you know, some of the online tools to do, which you know are, are about half effective. But you really need a human to really read it and and um, and look at it and, and determine what what it needs, because they they can think through the process and and give you an insight that the online tools can't. Hello, Mike. This is Eddie Deason. Okay, I want to talk to you first of all about Grease. Grease was my very first movie. Uh, it was like, a, people say, what was it like working in Greece? Greece was like going to a party, the greatest party of your life. Remember the greatest party you ever had in your life? Greece was like that. It was like a two-month party, and it didn't end. Well, it did end after two months, but it was the greatest party of my life that lasted for two months. That's kind of how it was. 
I loved everybody in the cast. I loved John. John would call me Buddy. He'd come over and shake my hand every day. How are you, Buddy? He was like the biggest star in the world. It was my first film. I was a total unknown, you know. And John would come over. How are you, Buddy? Good to see you, Buddy. He'd always shake my hand. Um, the first scene where I get there, you know, the T-Birds, like, you know, the T-Birds are there and they mess up my hair and kind of hassle me around. And John, after every take, John would come over. Are you okay, buddy? Are you all right, buddy? They'd mess me up. Cut. The director says, John would go, are you okay, buddy? And he'd always make sure I was okay. Anyway, the last day of Greece, we're doing the carnival scene, you know, and they, the director, uh, Randall Kleiser and the, the producer, Alan Carr, was there. And they said, Eddie, we, we were at the carnival, you know, and he said, Eddie, will you ride on this spin-around machine, this whirling, twirling machine? I go, no, I get motion sick, please. They go, come on, Eddie, will you do it? So I was a trooper, so I did it. So I spun around on the machine. Now, if you look at Greece, you'll see the carnival scene. You'll see a little blur there for about one second in the twirling machine. That blur is me. Anyway, I'm walking off the field after they filmed the scene. I threw up in the middle of the field. It was my ignominious last day of Greece. I threw up in the middle of the carnival field. I went to my dressing room and I collapsed. That was my last day of shooting in Greece. I remember Jeff Conaway tried to get me laid. He tried to get a hooker for me and tried to get me laid. I was real scared, but it never happened. Unfortunately for the girl, she didn't get the experience having sex with me. So she really lost something there. <laughs> anyway, 1941 was great. I got to work with Steven Spielberg, who I loved. Again, I'll give you another throw-up story. I was on the, the Ferris wheel, you know, in 1941, I spend the movie on a Ferris wheel. Murray and I are there with my ventriloquist dummy. So Steven's whipping us around on the Ferris wheel a lot, real, you know, real lot one day, and I'm getting whipped around. I started to get motion sick, so I get down. Steven takes me down. He says, go lay in my dressing room. So I go lay in the dressing room. I'm on Steven Spielberg's cot in his dressing room, feeling nauseous. So I got on my hands and knees. I felt real nauseous, and I crawled in the bathroom, and I threw up. Then I realized I just threw up in Steven Spielberg's toilet. It was an honor. It was one of the highlights of my career. I got to throw up in Spielberg's toilet. Stephen was a great day. Stephen was a great guy. I'm sorry. One day I'm on the set, okay? Stephen turns to me. He goes, Eddie, you want to have lunch with us? Uh, okay, sure. I'll have lunch with Stephen Spielberg. So I go to the commissary with Stephen. It's Stephen Spielberg, John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd, and me. I'm having lunch with these guys. I'm like Jackie Gleason, you know, Ralph Cramden. Humana, 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 humana. I'm there. I didn't say a word the whole hour. We have lunch together for an hour. I didn't say one word the whole hour. So I sat there like a dummy. Finally, I realized I didn't have any money to pay for my lunch. Luckily, Stephen picked up the tab. Uh, John Belushi was a wonderful guy. He was a great guy. I remember that. And Dan Aykroyd was a great guy. And of course, working for Stephen was an honor. Anyway, I wanted to congratulate you about your Vicky books and about Southern Cross. That's very cool. Very well done, Mike. And Mike, uh, I thought 1941 writing it, Ventriloquist for Dummies. Well, I don't know who should read it. You are the dummy. Maybe have the dummy read it because you're a very nice guy and you're not really a dummy. <laughs> I wanted to say hi to you, Mike, and uh, this is the video for you. And I hope you have a great weekend, okay? Take care and have a great autumn and a great holiday season. Okay, take care, Mike. Bye. Thank you for listening to the IMT show with Mike Sims. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The IMT show is an opinion show and not to be taken as serious personal, legal, tax or financial advice. It is meant as entertainment only. IMT show, Mazaroff for Mike Sims is not responsible for ad content. For more information on show schedules and content visit www.mazaroff.net slash IMT.